Open up your Bibles to Jude. As it is very, very likely, we'll wrap this study up today. We look at the final six verses here, starting in verse 20. I just want to do a, a little bit of review before we dive in here. Jude, the only chapter, verse 20. If you've not learned anything else from our study through Jude, I hope you've learned there's only one chapter. Uh, that would be good. That'd be a notch in my belt for sure as a teacher. It says in verse 20, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves, which is the name of our outline, the building up of yourselves, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep ourselves, keep yourselves, rather, in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. And we looked at... Um, really just the first point when we were talking about praying in the Holy Spirit. And there were a few pieces of text that we left off with last time that I'd like to reread. As we look at the second point of possessing the love of God, turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 3. Again, this is review, so uh, we're going to try and go through this part a little, little quicker than we might normally. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 8. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, of course Paul is our writer, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, created, who created all things by Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Verse 13, Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family is heaven and earth, and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. One of my favorite portions of text. Turn now over to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 starting in verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, 
glorify God in the day of visitation. And if you don't already have this verse marked, you ought to mark it, that verse 12. It's a very important reminder for us as Christians. Verse 13, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thinkworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it, if when ye be buffeted by your, for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when you do well, when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Putting it simply, possessing the love of God is doing everything for Him and no longer doing anything for yourself. This doesn't mean you, you let yourself perish, uh, dying on the vine type of situation, but everything that you do should be motivated by the Word of God, or you shouldn't be doing it. To put off the new man is to hate the garment spotted by flesh, as Jude puts it, or to despise iniquity, to abhor evil to abstain from even the appearances of evil. It's a dangerous thing. It's a, it's a hard phrase, really. Is it, uh, it's both simple and complicated. Uh, we, can, we can obviously avoid or abstain from appearances of the evil one by not killing people. But what do we do with our thoughts, our words, our actions? And some will say, well, I would never say something like, I should kill you or you should die out in public. But do you say it in front of your children at home? Do you say it in front of your spouse in private conversation? Do you say it to all of your friends? But then there's another level to all that, isn't there? Is it in your heart? Because even unspoken, God knows the motivations of the heart. For us to do... Uh, to despise iniquity as we should, we truly must possess a love of holiness. God is absolutely holy. And if he has called us, it shouldn't be too complicated for us to love that which is absolutely holy because that is him. And we love him because he first loved us. Is anyone there yet? Anyone listening to this there yet? To a place in which your heart harbors no ill toward another brother, toward even your enemies? Anyone here living a perfect Romans 12 life? Please note my hand's not up either. We've got work to do as believers. We have a continual striving before us to pursue Christ Jesus. Our ensample. He was perfect. Will we ever know perfection in this life? No. The flesh yearns for drama. It yearns for heartache. It literally yearns for its own injury, for its own conclusion in things. But when we are translated from this life, however it comes, if we truly know the Lord Jesus as our Savior, we will know peace like we've never known it before. We'll know peace that surpasses all understanding. A peace that's, if it could be described, it wouldn't be believed in this life. Some might say it takes a great deal of self-control to love the brotherhood or honor all men as we read, that, read there in our text. 
but God says it is not something like more self-control that needs to be added to the equation, but rather your old flesh that needs to be subtracted, something that needs to be removed. We talk about regeneration in the sense that the stony heart is removed and replaced with a fleshly heart, a heart of feeling, a heart that uh, is not only dealing but feeling experiences both what goes out and what comes in. Uh, some of the preachers this past weekend, it seemingly pretty quickly, we weren't assigned topics, but it cr pretty quickly became a theme of the meeting uh, to concern ourselves with the letters. Uh, Dan Gordon talked about the letters that come in. Uh, maybe uh, he used Hezekiah as an example. Maybe an angry letter from our enemy that threatens our doom or threatens our torture or threatens our, pe our perishing or whatever it might be. And he says, what do we do with those letters? Most time, Baptists, we take those letters and we read them, and we read them, and we read them, and we read them, and then we fold them up and we put them in our pockets, and then we pull them back out again and we read them, and we read them, and that's why most Baptists look like this. But what we read in Scripture, 1 Kings 19, I believe, was the text to use, is an example of taking that letter, reading it, Receiving it, reading it, laying it out before the Lord, and praying for the Lord's wisdom on what to do with it. And in this life, brethren, that's the only thing we can do. You will not remove from this earth all of your enemies, because those are God's enemies. And until he has chosen to remove them, they shall remain. This is how... We love as God loves, for in his love for the elect, his holiness, he gave up his only beloved son. He did a little bit of subtracting, too, to do some addition. Again, our great ensample. We see man made in holiness, falling in the flesh, equaling to inequity, which equals judgment. This is one of them uh, sermon mathematical problems I like to introduce every once in a while. But we also have another math problem of man who's made in holiness plus fall in the flesh plus atonement by absolute holiness equals equity or redeemed holiness. To serve others is to love as God loved and all our righteousness is as filthy rags as we see in the scriptures. We must apply his gifts to our redeemed persons in order to make a difference. And this is an action, beloved. Listen to what we read in Romans 14, verses 16 through 18. Let not then your good be evil spoken of, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. The first command uh, in, in, in the idea of salvation is be ye reconciled unto God. And Romans 14 verses 16 through 18 takes place somewhat after that reconciliation. And now we're looking for acceptance to God and approval before men. Not approval from men, approval of God before men. What are we called to do? We are called to be Christ-like. We are called to share the good news. We are called to give the gospel. But with righteousness such as filthy rags, which is all that we have, there's something we have to put on first. There's this old man, this worthless old man, whose only wages earned us eternal death. It has to be put off. And a new man, which is only found and solidified and strengthened in scriptures. He's not, in, he's not at Old Navy. He's not at the Gap, and there's no great value version of it. 
the new man cost Christ Jesus' own blood. We might want to give some time to consider what that new man is. It's kind of important. And the new man loves God. And the new man serves God. And the new man doesn't say, what can everyone else do for me? But the new man says, what can I do to express my love for God the Father? Because I love God the Father. The new man is the only man within you, if you're born again, who can love God the Father. The old man does not love God the Father. The old man, according to John 3, only desires darkness. He hates the light. He's got to be put out. We have to have a focus. This isn't a choosing Christ, beloved. Uh, this isn't even a choose ye this day who you'll serve. That'll be a result or a conclusion of it. But each day, each day, uh, and, and it's a little bit unfair because sometimes before you even wake up, things are set in motion that just bury you in grief. But each day we have to say, not today, Satan. Not today, Satan. I will serve the Lord. Not today, Satan. I am greatly loved of God the Father. Let's consider who we're greatly loved by, born again. You're not greatly loved by some man who will conditionally ebb and flow in his love for you. You are greatly loved, considered precious, by the sovereign creator of everything. What are we to him? What should we be, I guess is a better question. What should we be? We're not even a speck of dirt in the eye of the cosmos. We're unseen. We're, we're as a, a, an atom to man, A-T-O-M. I guess there's something there that we preach, but uh, understand what I'm saying. Like, I know that they're there because science has told me they're there, but I can't see them. I can't influence them. There's very little I understand about them, but they're there. But we're less than that to the cosmos. We can't impact the other side of the universe, or at least we don't know if we can impact the other side of the universe. But this God who created all those things saw fit to love you. Let that sit for a minute. I like what Joey brought out this weekend, that there's uh, only two creations that have fallen, and we are the lowest of the two. Angels and man. And yet he saw, I mean, we're already on the spectrum so small in, in comparison to the cosmos. And then we also betrayed his love in the garden. And yet he still saw fit to show mercy upon any of us. That's something wonderful. We ought to have some joy over that. We ought to have a desire to know this new man. This new man who's tunely aware of this love and feels it with that feeling heart we must possess the love of god and the the building up of ourselves in faith because only god is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy as we see in jude not only does god keep us in his embrace that we would never fall but he has us to be presented faultless before the presence of his glory so it's not that he just gave us mercy that we could once again lose. And if we could, we would. But he gave us mercy and preserved it, sealed it. He not only pulled us from the clutches of death, but he saw fit to justify us so that when we faced, uh, well, when we would potentially face judgment, he sees Christ Jesus. 
It wasn't just a drop of mercy. It was all mercy. As he was resurrected, what do we see in the Great Commission? All power belonged to the Lord Jesus Christ, as we read there in Matthew 28, verse 18, I believe. All power. What would an, a, a being, a, a, an infinite being do with all power? Show mercy to a small speck in the cosmos that had already betrayed him. It's confounding. It shouldn't make sense. It would therefore make even less sense for us to say, we choose him, we allow him, we permit him, he knocked, we answered, we invited, we accepted. <laughs> Beloved, in, in, in the scheme of salvation, it matters little whether or not you accept or reject what he had done on the cross. He will bring you to that point. If he could see fit to save such a one as me, he would not be so foolish to give me a choice over it. He would break my will. I was talking to my brother, because sadly the Catholic Church pushes that real hard. Their favorite phrase is, the Lord will never put more on you than you can handle. Clark, did when you were teaching Jonah, did he climb out of that whale, swim to the surface? I think Jonah had a lot on him from what Clark taught us. When we read of Saul on the Damascus Road, blinded in the dirt, Lord didn't just leave him there. Don't forget, I won't put more on you than you can handle. If you can make it to Damascus, we'll see you there. No, what happened? Men led him to one that was prepared to teach him. It was kind of like the Lord had paved the way for everything that was going to happen to Paul from there. Similar for Jonah. God will put more on you than you can handle. Because if he doesn't, you'll reject him. Catholics won't tell you that. Let me say it again. He will put more on you than you can handle. Because if he didn't, you would reject him. Because you'd be handling God. Okay, big cosmos, little speck, and you're handling God. Not likely. Not likely. When the books are opened and sheep are being separated from goats, we will be presented faultless. I, mean, I don't know how often it's presented this way, but it's a great honor even then to be in the presence of God. Even the goats are receiving a, a type of honor to even have a moment in his presence. Even those in Acts where it says, every knee shall bow, it is a great honor to be before the king of all things. That conversation won't end well for some, but in that moment, they will be in front of perfect holiness. I would even say they might even have near-perfect understanding. I don't think any of them are going to go screaming, I'm not a goat. I knew the Lord. When he says, depart from me, I never knew thee, I think they'll know that's true. I cannot imagine what I even look like faultless. But we're going to appear faultless before the throne. John said in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when we, he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him 
as he is. We've got written in the margins of my Bible, wow. There's so much in that one verse that should blow our minds. We have no idea what we shall be. But we do know that when he shall appear, I mean, already he, he's coming. We know this, we preach this, but they, have you ever dwelled on that for a minute? All the misery that we are afflicted with and all the misery we've afflicted others with, he's coming for us. He shall appear as miserable as our America now is embracing every filthy sin she can as though we're grasping to make sure that we claim them all off the board of play. Jesus Christ is coming again. We shall be like him. Wow. This is John, the one that he greatly loved, the one who rested his head upon his bosom. And he says, we shall be like him. Think how John, when he wrote this, was longing at that point in his life, to be with him once again. Think about how John longed to rest his head upon, and it is a weary head at this point. John, among other things, was um, you know, on the island of Patmos, deserted there, but he was also boiled. He'd suffered a great many things. And what, at one point, Simon Peter might have envied how long a life John was going to have. I don't know that John was still envying that any longer. He says, he's coming again, and we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Hmm, I hope you're possessing the love of God. Because that will be a great day for the born-again believer to see the Lord Jesus as he is. It will be a great and terrible thing, if you do not know the Lord as your Savior, to one day see him as he is. It'll be a fearful thing. And, and some might say, well, how could something be so wonderful for one and so terrifying for another? You ought to read some scripture. See how this experience is going to play out for you if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. See not just the emotions, but the great terror of the revelation of every sin you have ever committed played back before your very eyes. It will not be an exciting moment in your history. The text also says, in the presence of his glory, that day of fear and concern, goats and sheep, remember, we will be found with exceeding joy. Praise God. Third and final point for our study through Jude, presenting the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Presenting, again, with the, the idea of building up of ourselves, these are things that we need to be assured of. Praying in the Holy Spirit, not just vain babblings, not just the, the Apostles' Creed and the Rosary and all the, that nonsense, but do you know him? Do you access the throne? As, I mean, you have access to the throne of the Creator. Do you exercise that access unashamedly? Well, preacher, I only, I only try to use it when I have to. You have to every minute. Every hour I need thee. The prayer request that we just laid out, do you intend to access the throne? Do you intend to pray through the Holy Spirit on their behalf? Janine's sister might be in one of her most hopeless situations in her entire life. 
Have we prayed for Janine and the Holy Spirit? She's still living here. Because life has left her in a situation with COVID and all this that it gets hard sometimes. Have we prayed for the loss in our, in our lives? Not just, oh, and don't forget so-and-so. And, oh, Lord, you know the situation with so-and-so. But have we openly weeped and pleaded with the Lord? Oh, Father, act in their hearts. Act in their lives. Point them to you. Break their arms. Break their hearts. Bring them to you, Father. Possessing the love of God. If we possess the love of God, it speaks in everything that we do, as we just said. That even the lost who bear witness to our works in the time of visitation will glorify God. Even when we suffer unjustly, we take it patiently that the world would see God. Third and finally, presenting the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. I have a lot of text in this final part, so I'm going to go pretty quickly through some of the reading. Uh, so bear with me. If you do want to turn to some of these, we're going to 1 Corinthians 6 next. Um, and if anybody just misses it all together, let me know and I can make sure you have the outline. Uh, I, I believe I sent it out. But we'll start with first uh, there in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 7. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past ye in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. I love how frequently Paul just throws in parentheses some of our greatest earthly sermons. By grace ye are saved. Moving on. Remember who he's writing to here. He loved the folks of Ephesus. He loved that church. He loved those people. And when he departed from them after three years of ministry, many of them, if not all of them, followed him a great ways to continue to talk to him, to continue to have fellowship with him, to continue to support him. He preached every jot and every tittle, never failed to preach to them the counsel of God's word in three years. And when that's the case, you can make a parenthetical and say, by grace are you saved. And the church says, yes, amen. We know this to be true. Paul has taught us this to be true. How many Baptists have you heard throughout the years who have preached great sermons, a multitude of great sermons on just those five words? And Paul just throws it in as a parenthetical, not because it's unimportant, but because he knows they know it's true. Because he knows through his own example, they know this to be true. That is presenting the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that when you tell one another, oh, by grace are you saved, you can each say, amen. Amen, we know this to be true. Not just because a preacher preached it, 
but because you know their testimony. And when you go and you witness, don't worry about getting all the words right. Make sure they see a different creature, creature in front of them than what they've known before. That's the gospel. Make sure that they believe by grace ye are saved because they know you could have never purchased salvation. That might sound funny, but it's absolutely true. Isaac would tell you, you might be the only Bible others are going to read. Here's the testimony of Baptists these days. I think I've told you all before when, uh, when my job was in the office, our, uh, our receptionist was Jehovah's Witness. And at the end of the year, they'd always do a Christmas party. Uh, and as they came around, the CFO, who was Jewish, uh, was making sure he knew who was going to be at the Christmas party. Uh, I wish I could tell you that's a joke, but no, this Jewish man was planning a Christmas party. Uh, and I said, I, I won't attend if it's called a Christmas party. I don't do Christmas. I didn't lecture him. I just made sure he knew that I wouldn't do that. Uh, the receptionist came around. She was right around the other side of the wall. And she said, I, they didn't know Baptists didn't do Christmas. That's our testimony. Isaac, last Tuesday, I think it was, went around Corinth. He had it on his heart to go and witness. So he called up one of his buddies. He actually texted a lot of buddies. One showed up. And they went around and gave the gospel to whoever would listen. And countless individuals said, Are you sure you're Baptist and not Jehovah's Witness? They have our testimony, beloved. They have the testimony that God left to his people. Do you love me, Simon Peter? Feed my sheep. They have our testimony. And how cruel we've likely been to Jehovah's Witnesses throughout the years, but they're doing something right. They're steadfast in their conviction. And though they're wrong, the world knows them for that. How many did you have to tell? I'm not a Jehovah's Witness. Three? Three people. That might not sound like too many. How many did you witness to last week you didn't know? Because he witnessed to at least three people he didn't know. I know that there were more than three. But three people. If he only witnessed to 10 people, that's 30% of Corinth, Mississippi that believe Baptists don't do that. They don't give the gospel. They don't share the good news. They don't go about telling people that there was a deliverer, a savior that came to this world, went to Calvary, took our sins with him, suffered, died, was buried, and rose again that the elect of God might have hope. The only ones with that reputation of sharing that kind of news is the Jehovah's Witness. The only ones with the kind of testimony that they abhor appearances of evil and do not partake in the traditions of men are the Jehovah's Witness. The devil has won quite a few victories, has he not? Where are we, Baptists? Oh, this world is going to hell in a handbasket. It's our handbasket. We received the Great Commission, after all. We are the ones who are called to go. We are the ones who are called to present the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Know the grace of God. Jude writes that we are to have compassion, making a difference. He's beseeching us to be like Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look at verse 9. Know ye not... 
that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. You know, we read those kinds of lists sometimes, and we're like, none of that is me. But how many are guilty of those very things that you have within your outreach? Maybe we should start reading it differently. Your next-door neighbor, Tom, he's a fornicator or an adulterer, and he can't get to heaven. He's got to be, this reputation's got to be removed. He's got to be spotless to get to heaven. Your neighbor, Tom's not going to heaven because he's on this list. He needs somebody to give him the gospel. He needs somebody to give him the good news that he can be forgiven. No, we don't know who the elect are, so tell everybody. This could be a really short conversation on, on that objection, couldn't it? So tell everybody. You will never meet a man who knows all the elect. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only one. You'll meet him in the kingdom. But in this life, you're never going to meet one who knows, so tell everyone. And such were some of you, such were some of you, but somebody said, I want my neighbor, Eddie, to go to heaven. I'm going to give him the gospel. I want my neighbor, Clark, to go to heaven. I'm going to give him the gospel. All things are lawful unto me, verse 12, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not of your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. A great mercy has been shown to those saved by his grace. Let us have compassion upon the lost that they may see Christ's mercy in us making a difference. All who are saved have heard the gospel. We know this to be true from God's own word. Was it not compassion that led the one who shared the good news with you? Did it not make a difference, this hearing of the gospel? Witnessing is more than words, what we've seen in Titus 3 recently through these studies. It's more than words. It's what you do. It's how you walk. What I came back with from Florida and folks said, I can't believe you made this drive. Can't believe you did this. Can't believe you stayed at the hospital so long. Can't believe, can't believe, can't believe, can't believe. It's what we do. It shouldn't just be what we say. We must strive to be holy to prevent causing our brethren to stumble. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1-6. through 6, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us, how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, 
not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. First Peter chapter 2, verses 9-12. through 12, Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Simon Peter must be talking to the Jews. He's not. He's talking to you, born-again believer. That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He called you out of darkness into light. That's what Simon Peter could have said, but he said marvelous light. I think he was smiling when he penned that. We ought to smile when we read it. Which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had obtained mercy, but now have, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation amongst the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evil doers, as we read earlier, that they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. One final scripture as we close: First Corinthians chapter eight. Verses 10 through 13. For if any man see thee which hast knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple. Shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom the Christ died. But when ye sin, but when ye sin so against the brethren, and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my, bro- make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Paul's not establishing a new religious practice. He's not establishing here sacramental atonement. He's simply saying we must be aware of how we're leading other people. And if you're here and you're saved, you're a Christian, doesn't matter if you want to or not, you're leading other people. They're watching you. They're watching you. They're listening to what you say, what you do, how you respond to things. And if you give cause for one of them to stumble, I pray the Lord makes you aware of it, that you can repair such damage. The reason we have reputations in the world as being hypocrites is not because the world peered through a window and saw us as hypocrites. It's because those who once sat with us walked out and said we're hypocrites. Think about that for a minute. Those you hurt with your reputation, those you hurt with your words, action, or inaction, you're leading them away from Christ. Let us who know to do better, do better.